Hey everyone, it's Devin Boss with the ETF Institute, and today my guest is Rick Ferry. Uh, Rick is a financial advisor uh, and author of several books and the creator of the Core 4 Model Portfolio Strategies. Uh, Rick, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. So before we jump into some of these topics I planned, um, I'd like for you background on the influence of Jack Bogle on your investment style, um, noting that most of his books, if not all, uh, are listed on your, your website as recommended readings. Um, and it's also worth noting that you're a co-author of a book called The Boglehead Guide to Retirement Planning. So being that uh, his name is kind of stamped all over your, your <laughs> philosophy, uh, go, go ahead and just give me a high-level overview on the impact that he's had on, on your philosophy. Well, I discovered the philosophy uh Bogleheads philosophy, if you will, uh, before it was called that, uh, in around 1996. I'd been in the investment industry for about eight years at that time. I had my CFA. I was working on my Master's of Science in Finance. And I was, uh, I, I was struggling trying to figure out how do you beat the market and how do you pick people who are going to beat the market? And it just wasn't clicking. It wasn't, I wasn't getting anywhere. Not, none of the data, nothing was working. And I was becoming very frustrated and I didn't know whether or not I was going to stay in the industry. And uh, I was at a CFA annual conference one year in 1996 and Jack Bogle was the keynote speaker. He had just retired for health reasons from Vanguard and uh, he was uh, starting a, a speaking tour. And I thought it was very interesting what he was saying about active management and passive management. And uh, he was pointing out how difficult it was to, to outperform the market and that it has always been difficult to outperform the market. And he uh, wrote a book called Bogle on Mutual Funds. And uh, later on in the year, I read that book and it just changed my whole outlook on what I should be doing as an advisor. Uh, and that, you know, the idea of an advisor trying to go out and beat the market was something that, uh, you know, stockbrokers did in the, you know, the 60s, 70s. But now something better came along and that better thing was index funds. And your clients would be better off just trying to do the return, getting the return of the market than trying to outperform the market with all the cost of taxes and everything else that go along with it. So that was my epiphany. It happened in 1996. So what, one of the main reasons that we exist at the ETF Institute to educate financial professionals on all things ETFs, all the way from under the hood mechanics, all the, all the way up to uh, best practices within the industry itself. Um, so you actually doing this a little over a decade ago, uh, having authored the book, The ETF Book. Uh, I believe it was published in 2009. Uh, so even though ETFs had been around for nearly 20 years at that point, um, what was the catalyst uh, to, to making you um, want to, to, to write this? Was it that you kind of saw the writing on the wall as far as uh, the tax efficiency of, of ETFs? Or was there something that you saw on the other side with mutual funds? So I actually started using ETFs in 1996. There were only two available, Spiders and Midis. That, those were the only two. But I was working in the brokerage industry, and you didn't have access to Vanguard mutual funds or index funds in the brokerage industry at the time. So I started using Spiders and Midis. And right away, it became clear that these are really good. I mean, they're low cost. Uh, they give you the return of the market, just like they say they do. And the other thing that came out was they're really tax efficient. So for a taxable account, they, they were really great. There was only two of them that were available until uh, the late 1990s, and then more funds came along, uh, country funds, country baskets, and then there were also uh, iShares came out with a big offering of a lot of different funds. So uh, that was cool that they had a lot of different ways now to use ETFs and different uh, indexes, but they were still standard indexes, you know, traditional indexes, uh, cap-weighted indexes. But around 19, uh, 2004, uh, there was a first launch through PowerShares of some 
new things called IntelliDex indexes. They tracked IntelliDex ones, and these were actively managed quantitative indexes, which nobody had ever heard of before because they were never called indexes before, but the SEC allowed them to be called an index. And so these power shares became quote unquote passive index funds, which became very confusing because now we had actual true passive index funds, traditional index funds. And now we have these other things calling themselves passive index funds. And, uh, and then from there, there was just a whole rash of new quantitatively derived uh, index funds that ETFs followed. Well, somebody, somebody had to explain all this in a book. <laughs> so it might as well be me. So I started reading the prospectuses of all these ETFs and I put together a book explaining to people okay, wh what ETFs are, why they're actually better, why they're tax efficient, how they trade, and also tried to come up with some methodology for differentiating the traditional index-based cap-weighted uh, ETFs from the, these new quasi-passive uh, uh, index ETFs uh, that I call spindexes, by the way, special purpose indexes, <laughs> spindexes. Okay. Uh, give me some insight into your personal view on ETF adoption. So uh, let's, let's bar the 401k space uh, for now, but that, that is a, kind of a separate issue. Uh, but do you sure. feel as if issuers have to adopt the ETF uh, structure or risk losing market share? Oh, they absolutely, uh, all, all mutual fund companies have to adopt an ETF structure. Now, either they're going to make it a share class of their current funds like Vanguard did, which nobody has done yet except Vanguard, or are they going to launch separate ETFs? And they have to have it. I mean, I, I was on Dimensional Fund Advisors, DFA's case, for 20 years to do this. And they finally did do it uh, last year. They finally launched some right. ETFs. You have to. I mean, it's, it's a better mousetrap than a mutual fund. And uh, I think the next phase of this is 401k providers are going to have to come up with some ways of, to incorporate ETFs. But um, right now... They, they don't have the uh, infrastructure to do that, but. Uh... Right. So let's, let's move on to your uh, core four philosophy. Can you give some insight uh, to the genesis of this idea and uh, wanting not only create this, but publish it, um, uh, you know, for, for the use of, of whoever uh, feels so inclined? Well, my core four philosophy is uh, how to take ETFs or index mutual funds and uh, just make a simple portfolio. I, I came to the realization over, after 30, 25 years or so of, of, of research that you don't need a complicated portfolio. Just a few good funds is all you need. And a total stock index fund, a total international index fund, a fixed income fund of some sort, and then maybe something in there for spice. So you have the cake and then you've got a little bit of the icing on the cake. And you, know, you end up with just maybe four funds. You can do whatever you want. You can create any kind of a strategy that you want. It could be a factor-based strategy. It could be an ESG strategy. It could be an income strategy, whatever. You could do it using just four funds. You didn't need to complicate a portfolio with a lot of different funds to do this. And it's more tax efficient that way. It's lower cost that way, uh, less turnover. And uh, you know, a lot of do-it-yourself investors can do it themselves or advisors who are advising clients but not managing money can, uh, can tell their clients, look, just follow uh, one of these strategies and you'll be fine. So that was the whole idea behind the core four strategy. Has there been a lot of evolution uh, <clears throat> since your original core four to stands now? So uh, I, I can just quickly name the, the uh, portfolios that I, that I saw listed on the website, but it's the classic total economy, global markets, inflation fighter, income seeker, and socially conscious ESG. Um, you know, ha did you, was there evolution in adding more of these uh, examples uh, very quickly after you launched Core 4, or has it just been iterative over the, the last several years? Well, when I was creating the website, 
uh, a few years ago, I had in my mind, uh, in addition to the, I had two core four portfolios. I had the classic and then I had the total economy portfolio. And the total economy portfolio is really a factor-based portfolio. It's a way to justify getting into small cap value stocks and having an overweighting in real estate. It just follows the economy as opposed to following the stock market. So that was that portfolio. I wrote about that in Forbes several years ago. And, uh, and prior to that, there was the classic portfolio. Uh, but, you know, the idea of ESG and uh, inflation fighter and the income, uh, high dividend yield income portfolio was because this is what people were asking for. And so when I created the, the website, I put together uh, some additional core four portfolios, which, again, using just four funds, but one that gave higher income, if that's what people wanted, one that had an ESG tilt, if that's what people wanted. And, uh, you know, again, to customize it uh, uh, one way or another. Again, it, it's not the cake. That's just the sort of the icing on the cake and the sprinkles on the icing on the cake. That is all that that is. But the, the core idea is to have four funds uh, that, that cover the basic market class, uh, market uh, asset classes. And, uh, and that's really all you need. So my next question was going to be uh, to get your thoughts on common arguments discussing the dangers of the growth <clears throat> of indexing. Um, but you sent out a tweet yesterday, so I want to read this for everybody. Uh, but you essentially published a, a study by the ICI uh, that shows, uh, and I wanted to clarify, I believe it's 28% of packaged products. 14% uh, of, of that 28% is index products. But essentially 28% of, of, of the market uh, is 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 it within a a packaged fund? Uh, the rest, seventy two percent, is still um, individual securities. So there's still price uh, discovery through those. But your tweet was, "What happens when everybody invests in index funds?" That's not something I worry about in my lifetime. Can you just speak to the thought behind this? Yeah, I mean, ten years ago it was the same thing. Twenty eight percent of the money on the market, twenty eight percent of the value of the stock market was in mutual funds. Um, now, more of that was in active funds than in uh, passive funds than index funds. Uh, but all that is is really just one money manager trading with another back and forth and back and forth. And whoever, you know, has got the hot hand at the end of the day wins. It's just a zero sum game on that active management side. And, and then the rest, of, it was about 8% of that 28% was in uh, indexing. And now it's split 14 and 14. I don't think anything's changed. In other words, 72% of the market is still price discovery. It's still other things out there that are, trading in the marketplace that are setting prices. Uh, Jerry O'Reilly, who is the manager of the Vanguard Total Stock Market ETF, VTI, um, and the mutual fund, uh, basically told me in an interview that only 5%, maybe 5% of the total stock volume on the exchange any given day is index funds. The other 95% is something else. So it's price discovery. We've got a long, long way to go. But not only do we have a long way to go, but still, 28% of uh, the stock market was in mutual funds 10 years ago, and 28% is still in mutual funds. It's just a different type of mutual fund. And it's, sure. I, I don't see any validity to the argument that somehow indexing is uh, distorting price discovery at all. And there's a lot of other data as well that shows that they're just not happening. So you alluded to active management. So give me some thoughts on, on active management uh, specifically to um, and I know you said that you've been around this industry for, for 35 years uh, this year, I believe. Um, why has it changed from the 1980s and 90s when the Fidelity, Fidelity Magellan Fund was outperforming the S&P handily by, by double digits most years? Uh, you know, what, why has there been such a change to where it worked then, but it doesn't seem to work now? 
I, I think it worked just as well now as it worked back then. But again, you're isolating it into one fund. I mean, there were thousands of funds out there and there's always going to be, you know, it's a, it's a random distribution of who outperforms. It's been, you know, Kathy Wood here uh, last year and that blew up. But um, I mean, there's always going to be, uh, you know, outliners that, that outperform and then money is going to go that direction, usually right before it declines. <laughs> so the, the average active investor, the average investor in those funds didn't make any money, probably even lost money. But the, you know, if you're doing a time-weighted methodology, it takes out the cash flows of the fund and you're looking at just the performance uh, each quarter and linking them together. And so the fund may have outperformed if you put a dollar in at the beginning, but, but the average investor in the fund probably lost money. And that's, that's a pretty continuous cycle that occurs. But um, it, it, it's very hard to outperform the market. I mean, you know, the competition is getting stiffer. People are getting smarter. The edu uh, educational levels of advisors, uh, I mean, uh, active managers is getting higher and higher. The, um, the dissemination of information is becoming faster. When information can be distributed, it's becoming much more regulated and, and uh, watched by the SEC and watchdogs so that nobody can get an advantage. I mean, and then there's trading and the trading desks are all competing with each other and they all have high speed trading. And it's, it's just it's getting really difficult uh, to to outperform the market. Uh, but there's always going to be an outline. You know, sure. there always will. It's just that you've got to be able to pick them in advance, which there's no way you can do that. I mean, you can get lucky, but you. You can't do it in any kind of quantitative way. Can you speak more uh, to just the flow of information and, and how you've seen that that change over over the course of your career? Well, well, sure. And after the uh, internet uh, bubble burst in two thousand, uh, a law was passed that said that uh, information has to be disseminated by companies all at the same time to everyone. So there was no more, you know, uh, hoodwink. You know, more kind of giving information to one uh, analyst rather than giving it to another. It was, all that went away. Uh, it was more, it was really kind of inside information being passed around. All that went away, became illegal. All the information that, that companies distribute has to be done all at the same time to everyone. So it really made a level, level playing field out there. And so uh, now, you know, a, a company posts a, a news release and the whole world knows about it within what, Seconds. second and a half? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody knows it. And uh, the stock reacts to it. Uh, you, you can't get any... It, it, look, if a stock is moving before information gets disseminated, uh, then the SEC is going to be looking at it now. Right. Thinking, well, maybe somebody's got some infi inside information and that leads you know, to an investigation. So it, it, it's really difficult to get superior information on companies nowadays. Uh, and... Then, even if you had superior information, it's really difficult to know how to trade on that information. You know, uh, you don't you don't know. So, it, information dissemination is so much better than it used to be, and uh, it's at the millisecond level. If you ever read the book Flash Boys, for example, uh, Michael Lewis, it's a great book that shows you how fast information is disseminated in the world today, milliseconds. <laughs> so. Rick, uh, today was very insightful. Uh, thank you for your time. If anybody wants to contact you to learn more about either yourself or the core four, where should they go to find information? Well, I have my own website, which is rickferry.com. And you can go there and you can contact me through that. Uh, the core four is just a standalone website that is at core, C-O-R-E dash number four, core4.com. 
and it's just open to anybody. Anybody can use that data. But Core 4 is a registered trademark. So if you're going to use Core 4 for your clients, just make sure you use the you know, registered trademark symbol. And then you put, this is registered to a Rick Ferry LLC, which is the name of my company. Sounds good. And that's it. Rick, thanks for your time today. And uh, everyone else, we'll see you next time.